Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, this morning we have two of the stranger narratives in Holy Scriptures. We have Jacob wrestling with God, and we have the account of the Syrophoenician woman. Both of these, though, are teaching us about prayer. First, we have the story with Jacob, who later becomes Israel, as he wrestles with God. Now, we need a little bit of background to remember what's been going on with Jacob at this point. Remember that uh, right from the get-go, something is off about Jacob. Uh, He is so named because he grabs onto the heel of Esau. Jacob's name means one who grabs at the heel or usurper. Uh, And so this then describes his whole life from going and tricking Isaac into giving him the blessing that belongs rightly to Uh, to his brother Esau, to uh, tricking or or convincing Esau to sell his birthright to him so that Jacob now becomes the essentially the firstborn, both in in right and blessing. Um, This ends up causing him to have to flee from Esau because he's concerned that Esau is going to come after him on account of all these things. And so he goes off and he goes to live with his uncle Laban. And this is where he meets Rebekah at the well. Uh, he's smitten with Rebecca and tells Laban that he wants to marry her and he, he'll work for Laban for seven years. And Laban agrees. And then Laban, uh, in an interesting turn of events, tricks the trickster and sends in Leah instead because she's the, uh, the, the eldest. You would, in this culture, you'd marry the eldest first before you marry the younger ones. Uh, and so uh, Jacob, though, still wants to marry uh, Rebecca, he still is in love with her, still smitten, and so he works for another seven years, uh, marries uh, Rachel, and so now he has these two wives. The 12 tribes of Israel come out of uh, these, uh, these two marriages, and all the while there is this estrangement that's going on between him and his brother Esau. So finally, uh, he, he hears that Esau is, is kind of around the corner, and so he starts sending um, all of his possessions, everything that he has across the river, river uh, Javik, in order to meet Esau. He sent, in, sent, in fact, sends a whole series of gifts to Esau, basically to try and bribe Esau to not destroy him when they meet. Um, because after all this time, he's still afraid of him. Uh, and then he sends his family across. And then finally, you have Jacob there by himself, uh, waiting the, the night before he himself is going to, to cross over. Because even though he is a trickster, he is a bit of a coward as well. Uh, he, he sends everybody, including his wife and children, to go and confront Esau before he himself will. Well, in the midst of all this, a guy, some random guy, shows up uh, and starts a wrestling match with Jacob. Now, if you're reading this and you're reading along and you get let's say you know that God has shown up here uh, and you start kind of imagining what's going to happen next, 
A wrestling match is probably pretty low on your guest list. Uh, may, maybe that he blesses uh, Jacob. Maybe that Jacob builds an altar there. Uh, maybe that uh, Jacob um, names the place after the encounter. All these things that we see over and over and over uh, when people will encounter these, these theophanies, these, these appearances of God. But instead, God, for whatever reason, and we don't know, decides to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestle throughout the night, and God apparently decides he's tired of this when morning comes and starts to to leave. Jacob won't let him leave. He touches the hip socket to put his hip out of joint. Jacob still won't let him leave. Uh, He's he's clamoring for another blessing. There's maybe something to be said about all of that. Uh, But at the end, uh, God does give him a blessing. God does change his name to Israel. It's maybe interesting to note that the entire nation of Israel is named for a wrestling match. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. And particularly that they are so named as those who wrestle with God, which is definitely an apt name for the people of God, including us. Uh, and at the end, they, they go off. And it's, we know that this is God because of what Jacob says at the end. He names it Peniel, which means I have seen God, uh, because he saw God face to face and was not killed. And we remember that uh, the promise is to see Lord, the Lord face to face in our sin is to die, unless he is particularly merciful in that instance and doesn't uh, shield you from that. At the end of all of this, though, we have this picture, and the, the, the church has historically understood this text in this way, that this is... In, in addition to the, the account of the naming of Israel and whatnot, that this is teaching us about prayer. Namely, that prayer is wrestling with God. That the, the actual account of Jacob physically wrestling with God and our prayers to God have a similarity to them. That both of them are, are a struggle as we go through. And so that's the first, the first odd narrative of the morning. The second odd narrative is the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. Now, if you read it in Mark, he notes that she's Syrophoenician. This is kind of a a mixed uh, uh, culture. Um, They would be similar, someone who's Syrophoenician would be similar to one who is a Samaritan. Um, They they were considered kind of in the Israelite culture to be what they called a half-breed. They weren't fully pure as the Israelites considered themselves to be pure. So they were uh, usually on the outskirts, not allowed to participate in a lot of different things in society and whatnot, They're lower echelon. And so she's coming along, and she has a daughter that's oppressed by a demon, and she's crying out after the Lord. Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, that's not a title that a Canaanite or a Syrophoenician individual would normally address someone as. She apparently knows very much who Jesus is, that he's God in the flesh, and that's why she's addressing him as such, and why she knows that he can free her daughter from this demon. And again, if we're reading this and what we know of Jesus, and we're to guess what's going to happen, it's, it's odd. It's not what we expect. We expect that Jesus is going to bless her, or that he's going to speak a word and her daughter will be healed, or he's going to travel the distance to her home and, you know, do something weird like mix, mix spit in the dirt and make mud and you know put it on her head or something and cast the demon out. One of these things that Jesus does. But that's not what he does. There's actually th- uh, kind of three 
three events that are in this, this account. And the first one is that he just ignores her. He just keeps walking along. She's crying out after him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he just ignores her. And you're kind of reading this like, what in the world is Jesus doing here? It's very out of character for him, it seems. And then she cries out again. She's not dissuaded. She cries out again, Jesus, master, have mercy on me. And she keeps coming after him. And there, there's a, a similarity between this. If you remember the account of uh, the, uh, when Jesus tells the parable, tells a couple of parables about uh, prayer. One is the persistent widow who keeps going after, him, after the judge in order to get uh, uh, justice against her adversary. And the other one is uh, the guy who has uh, visitors come in in the middle of the night and he doesn't have enough bread. So he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on the door uh, and his neighbor doesn't want to give him anything. But basically he's just sitting there like just knocking and knocking and knocking. Give me bread. He's just annoying the guy to the point where the guy doesn't want to give it to him, but finally to get him to go away, he gives him the bread, right? This is a very similar sort of thing that's going on here. This woman is just coming up and just pestering Jesus, and the disciples are getting annoyed with her. And then Jesus responds not to the woman, but to his disciples. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he's not talking to her still. He, he dismisses her from the side. It's like in, insult upon insult here. And then she falls down in front of him uh, and continues begging him to have mercy. And then he says, and we kind of cringe when he says this, uh, it is not right to take what is the children's, the bread of the children, and feed it to the dogs. And, and you have read this correctly, Jesus has called this woman a dog. It is not at all what we expect. It's a shocking statement from Jesus. But even more shocking is her response. Even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, fine, if, you're, if you are going to call me a dog, I will be a dog because I know that the dogs still get fed. Uh, Luther, in, in, in commenting on this, makes this, this really nice note that she finds the promise that is there hidden in the insult. That's exactly what's there because we see what happens after this. Jesus turns and he says, woman, how great is your faith. Be it done for you as you believe. And her daughter's healed at that very instant. There's only one other time that Jesus gives that sort of commendation. And it's to the centurion that we heard not too long ago, where his servant is ill. Uh, we had this uh, on, the, on the first of the Gesema Sundays. Uh, the, his, his servant is ill, and uh, the, the servant says, I, I too am one under authority. I tell someone, go, and they go, and come, and they come, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and he comments to him as well, how great is your faith? Now, now it is interesting that uh, the only two times Jesus ever says this is to Gentiles, not to Israelites. So that, that is nice for us who are also Gentiles. But notice what happens here. That Jesus has drawn out of her through this whole series of events, this great confession. And so there, there's, there's two 
things maybe for us to remember or, or note in this. One is the persistence of prayer and also that in our confession and in our prayer that we hold God to his word. Do we, we catch him in what his promises are to us? So th- this is then how this all wraps up for us then. That we ought to learn about our own prayers and confessions here. At first, we should not be surprised if we, like Jacob, have to wrestle with God in our prayers. Now, I will admit, I do not know how to explain this further than that, that prayer is wrestling with God. But I do believe that if you've, if you've gone through this, if you have wrestled with God in your prayers, you know what it is. But explaining it is maybe a little bit trickier. And so we can just leave it at that, that we ought not be surprised that this will happen with us as well as we pray to God that we will have to wrestle with him. Second, that the Lord desires that we would be persistent in our prayers and not be discouraged if it seems like he's ignoring us. As it seemed like he was doing with the, with the uh, Canaanite woman, which we can see at the end of the narrative, he was not ignoring her at all, but drawing out the confession. Now, we, we see this as the first and the second petitions go ignored, but the third one finally gets the gracious response. And before going on with this, we might note that we don't know why the Lord acts in this sort of way. We don't know why he comes and he wrestles with Jacob. We don't know why he goes through this whole series of responses with the Canaanite woman, other than it's drawing out the confession at the end. We simply can't answer those sorts of questions. And we don't know why he deals with us in the same sorts of way. What we do know is that we have these narratives showing us that the Lord does interact with his people in this way, that it's not a strange thing when it happens to us, but also that he's always doing so out of his own mercy and kindness, even if we can't see that at the time. And that in the midst of all this, he always promises to hear us. Now, we we just sang this. If you missed it, here it is. When in the hour of deepest need, we know not where to look for aid. When days and nights of anxious thought, no help no help or counsel yet have brought, then this is our comfort alone, that we may meet before your throne. To you, O faithful God, we cry for rescue in our misery, for you have promised, Lord, to hear your children's cries in times of need, through him whose name alone is great, our Savior and our Advocate. The Lord always hears us, whether we think that he's listening or not. And this is the comfort in the midst of this. And eventually he will answer us in his time and in his way. But that is about as far as we can go with it. But then lastly, that the Lord, the Lord teaches us to have a great delight in what we confess ourselves to be according to his word. So back to the strange statement of Jesus that he calls this woman a dog and she doesn't run away mad at that. She takes him up at his word. Even the dogs receive the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so for us, we ought to remember this, that if the Lord calls us a sinner, that we don't storm out of the room because of that. If the Lord calls us wicked or evil, that we are not offended by that. Instead, we say, like this great woman of faith, yes, Lord, but even the sinners receive what comes from the Lord's hand. 
to say this, that if you, Lord, will call me a sinner, then a sinner I will be, because you promise to give to sinners forgiveness for their sins. You promise to give to sinners your beloved son to die for their sin. You promise to give to sinners the blood of Jesus to cover their sin. You promise to give to sinners the washing and rebirth and renewal of holy baptism. You promise to give to sinners your body and your blood at your blessed sacrament. You promise to give to sinners healing and righteousness and justification and eternal glory in Jesus. And so we can say this with the woman. If you, Lord, will call me a sinner, then I will gladly accept that knowing what it means that you will give to me as a sinner as well. And so the Lord teaches us about our prayers and especially about our confession according to his word of ourselves and of his mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.